0: Hey there, I'm Ange McCormack, the host of Schwartz Media's daily news show, 7am. This is The Weekend Read. Every fortnight on the show, we feature the best long-form writing in Australia, read to you by the people who wrote it. Today on the show, author Christos Cholkis with a recent piece from The Monthly. After hearing Christos on the latest episode of Schwartz Media's new podcast, Read This, we wanted to hear more from him. On this week's episode of Read This, he's in conversation with host Michael Williams about his upcoming book The In-Between and about the enduring obsessions he's written about throughout his career. Check it out. It's out now. For now, though, you can listen to Christos read his piece after a short conversation. So, Christos, this essay talks about a sentence that you first read as a high school kid and it blew your mind and it stayed with you. I think that happens a lot when you're a teenager, discovering books and music and feeling everything so deeply. Was that what your childhood and young adult life was like, discovering bits of culture that flawed you and shaped
1: you? Oh, I think, uh, I think definitely. I, uh, it sounds quite melodramatic, but it, it isn't at all for me. I think there were three things that kind of felt like they saved me when I was an adolescent in high school. Yeah. And one was clearly books. I mean, that's like clearly literature. <laughs> yeah. uh, the other one was film and the other thing was music and just kind of uh, being introduced to the world of, of arts really. You know, when I put it in, those, in that way, Ange, I, I realised that's what I'm talking about. I was very, very – I went to a suburban high school And there was a teacher that I've I've talked about in the past and I dedicated, I did a uh, monograph on Patrick White and I dedicated to him. He was a a wonderful English teacher and he introduced me to uh, some of the greatest books of all time, really. Um, And I think that when I was writing this essay, I was reflecting on that excitement and that thrill that you have when you're a young person and you, you know, so I remember reading the Hartley novel, I must have been 16.
0: Young impressionable. young, impressionable.
1: Young, yeah. impressionable. And, you know, that it is such a killer opening line, right? Yes. As a writer, you know, now, decades on, I just think, oh, to write such a perfect opening line. But it was interesting, too, in rereading the novel, like, uh, you know, when I was younger, I identified with a young protagonist and kind mm. of the disillusionment and the, that loss of innocence that is part of the go-between when the uh, the young protagonist realises that adults can betray you. <laughs> mm. But, of course, when you reread it and as you age, you your identification becomes much more complex. And I think that was what I wanted to do in the piece. Uh, I talk about... I'm very lucky I have some wonderful young people in my life, uh, uh, nieces and nephews, and I'm using that term in the most expansive form, right? <laughs> so, I'm, you know, it's not necessarily just about blood relationships. And that, th- I love... They're seeing their curiosity, and I love being part of their challenge, right? Kind of when they're, you know, uh, those arguments of good faith you can have with people. And then just gently wanting to also, I guess, do what my high school teacher did to me, if I can, give them a gift of something. I mean, Mm -hmm. it's a two-way... Process right. There's the gifts they, they're giving me the the new, but I do. They're think teaching
0: th- you a lot. <laughs> yeah, and
1: they're also introducing me to new music, new films, new <laughs> new new books. But I do think there's something of worth in the whole that I that I hope I can give. That's, mm. that's where the essay came from.
0: Yeah, and what surprised you about the differences between you and the next generation of your family, blood or otherwise, your nieces and, and nephews? What have they kind of? taught you or what have you noticed that is different to how your upbringing was
1: I think it's the for myself there was that sense of you really had to find physical places and actually physical mental spaces to start treading outside the mainstream when I was young right I, I often talk about it uh, that uh exciting moment when I came across community radio in Melbourne on the dial (laughs) and suddenly got introduced to a music I'd never heard of. I remember in the city there was a a record shop that I went to that uh, just had all these albums from artists I'd never heard of. And I'm walking into Missing Link it was called and hearing this slam of punk music and just wanting to know what it is, even though I found it a little bit Oh, I don't know, abrasive or, or mm. difficult. Uh, there was a wonderful bookshop uh, called um, uh, the New Internationalist that that was on Elizabeth Street, and that's where I first came across some of the more radical literature for the first time. Whereas with my, you know, when I when I think about the young people in my life, it's it um, for the listeners. I'm I'm looking down at my mobile phone. It's there, which mm. is an interesting and a different relationship to totally. information and and where where things come from. I think mm. that's, that's one of the things that really strikes me as both uh, almost revolutionary, the ability to have that at your fingertips. And then the argument we have, Ange, if I'm honest, is where I sometimes get frustrated that given all that possibility, kind of the, the, the curation of almost what's on those apps is so limited. Mm. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Or, or is that a much more... Di- the,
0: the curation of something like a Netflix or, or Spotify or whatever is sort of pushing you in one direction, is that exactly. what you mean? Exactly,
1: because also Netflix and Spotify are really good examples, particularly Netflix in cinema. Mm. like To try and get foreign lang- non-English language films on you Netflix... you got to search for it. Yeah, yeah. it's really hard. Mm. Yeah.
0: <laughs> and in your piece you talk about teachers and you quite lovingly remember this harsh words of a lecturer you once had why do you think the words of teachers be it encouragement or criticism stick with you as a writer especially for so long
1: uh, uh, i think that when teachers are at their best and what they do is animate you with their passion or and love or wisdom about a, a subject right and when I think about my teacher in high school, it's not easy being a teacher in a suburban high school. Most people, you know, it's you know. I think he was excited with the students who were welcoming that excitement and animation.
0: Mm. And he pushed and he, you. And he
1: pushed, yeah, he did. He did push me. I mean, he gave me, you know, he introduced me to um, Tolstoy at mm. fifteen. You know, the, and I am so glad he did that. Um, I may not have had. The maturity, maybe, to completely understand the gift, but I fell in love with Anna Karenina as a novel. Like, even I, even though I had to go back and read it, reread it in that, you know, uh, almost immediately, just to make sense of what I was reading, the teacher that I'm talking about in the essay was in, uh, at university and he was a remarkable man, a survivor of the Holocaust. Uh, one of the most... Uh, sharpest, astute minds I've ever come across. And he did not suffer fools gladly. And because I was only 18, 19, I was pretty much a fool. (laughs) He was, he, what I really admired about him was that even though he could be really tough and he was tough minded and he did not, shy away from making his contempt uh, known if he thought that you were slacking off or is that he also, if he did see you, if he did feel that you were working, if he did feel like you were testing your mind, it was absolutely encouraging. And because he was, you know, I was a, a left-wing young student and he was a conservative. It was a really, I I don't think I appreciated it. As much back then, and as I do now, that he taught me how to argue, mm. like he taught me that if I wanted to defend a position, I was doing political science right His specialty, his theory it was he was a theorist of political economy, kind of classical political economy, and so he taught me that yes you you know you can't slack off Chalkus, <laughs> that if you really want to argue with me, you have to read, you have to know your stuff, you know, have to know how to form a, an argument. Not long after I finished that course in political economy, I went to Greece as an adult for the first time. I'd been when I was ten, but I'd never been back to my parents' country before that. And I was astonished by being in a in a world where people my age knew philosophy because they'd studied it. And I think Noffelmark, because this is the man's name, I what should name him? He was he was a he was yeah he was a really wise. And good and tough teacher. <laughs> um, I think he, what he didn't in hindsight is go, you've got to learn something called philosophy. <laughs> you have to engage with it if you want to be a critical thinker. And, you know, I was just a product of the, you know, public high schools in Australia. We don't really do philosophy. So that was, yeah, I, I owe a lot to him.
0: Mm-hmm. Christos, I look forward to hearing you read your own story in your own words. Thanks so much. Thank you. Coming up after the break, Christos will read The Past is a Foreign Country.
1: The Past is a Foreign Country. Recently I was chatting with a niece and we got into a delightfully civil contretemps. I was extolling the virtues of a lecturer I had at uni in the mid-1980s. He was ferociously intelligent, a survivor of the Holocaust who had little time for postmodernism and left-wing cant. In battling his conservative positions, I found I had to be meticulous in my reading and in my research. I was telling her of how I had scrambled to write an essay he had assigned us on David Hume. I had put it off till the last minute, and had begun writing it hungover and coming down. Perusing a few extracts from Hume's writing and hoping some expertly placed citations would hide the fact that I had not engaged with the philosopher's writing at all. My lecturer wasn't fooled. The week after, he came into the tutorial and gave all of us a dressing down on the uninspired quality of our work. He stomped towards me with a rolled-up copy of my essay in his hand and flung it at my head. "'And you chulkers,' he roared, "'this essay is rubbish, lazy and jejune." My face was burning, and I couldn't look at him or my fellow students. I knew he was right. He turned away from me, and I heard him contemptuously hiss, "'Just fucking do better.' I spent the next week reading Hume and rewriting the essay. I did want to do better. That's why he was one of the best lecturers I ever had, I said to my niece. She was having none of that. That's outrageous, she declared. He was a bully. And that's how we got into the argument. Her deriding the aggression of my lecturer and my defending his methods as inspiring. Back and forth we went and it became obvious that our interpretations of the incident were irreconcilable. Finally, I shrugged and said, the past is a foreign country. They do things differently there. Those words, of course, are the startling opening to L.P. Hartley's 1953 novel, The Go-Between. I first read the novel in high school and I still recall the euphoric rush I had at reading that opening sentence and the immediate sense I had of the profound truth of the sentiment. The words evoked the strange distancing I was already experiencing in my temporal and emotional detachment to the memories of my own childhood. I suspect there was a further resonance for me in how the words illuminated the vast rift there was between myself and my migrant parents. A world of poverty and war and peasant life that I could only opaquely glimpse through their stories. It was a past that was integral to shaping me, yet there was no way I could pretend to have a visceral understanding of their lives. This dissonance between one's own experience and that of the other, even when the other is one's own family, still feeds my keenness for novels and film for works of art that illuminate that bridge. One of my pet hates remains historical novels that assume a shared consciousness between people of the past and those of the present. As soon as I hear the voice of the 21st century intruding, I can't continue reading. Entering the past should terrify us, not only because so much of what occurred there appalls us, but also because it reveals so much of how impossible it is to stand in complacent judgment. I recently reread Dostoevsky's novel Devils, which I had last read when I was the same age my niece is now. On that initial reading, I was furious at the reactionary assault on 19th century revolutionary activism. On rereading it, I was astounded to find how bracingly satirical it was. This time, I wasn't seeking to see myself reflected in its pages, and so, paradoxically, in respecting the remoteness of the events in the narrative, I found Dostoevsky's critique of radicalism trenchant and illuminating of some of the follies of contemporary progressive iconoclasm. Devils is a great novel precisely because of its contradictions, deeply felt and wildly misanthropic, tragic and comic, prophetic and of its time. There was no resolution to the argument between myself and my niece. The issue at stake, in this case, a question of pedagogy, remains unsettled. I have friends who refute the worth of fiction, charging that it evades the accuracy of documentary. My counter to that argument remains a stubborn loyalty to the state of being unsettled. That was the very nature of the thrill I experienced when I first started to read The Go-Between. The past is a foreign country. The pleasure of fiction is that we can do things differently there.
0: That was Christos Cholkis reading his piece, The Past is a Foreign Country. If you enjoyed it, I highly recommend checking out this week's episode of Schwartz Media's new podcast, Read This. It's hosted by the editor of The Monthly, Michael Williams, and each week they talk to the best writers from Australia and around the world about their lives and their work. And this week, Michael is in conversation with Christos about the new book he's just written. It's a really fascinating conversation about some of Christos' favourite things to write about, sex, love and bodies. It's out now. It's a really great episode. Well worth your time. To hear more Weekend Reads, you can subscribe to The Weekend Read in Apple Podcasts, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts.